0: This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, a TV club series that's just for Slate Plus members. I'm June Thomas, and today we're going to discuss Season 7, Episode 7, The Dragon and the Wolf, We Being Me, and... Longtime slate contributor Seth Stevenson. Hey, Seth.
2: Hello, June.
1: Hello. And theater director and writer and co author of the forthcoming, what's it called, Isaac?
0: The World Only Spins Forward The Ascent of Angels in America.
1: There you go. That is Isaac Butler. Hi, June. Hello, Isaac. All right, there's a little bit to talk about last night because it was like a movie length episode and a lot of talking, a lot of action. So as usual, well, let's just kind of more or less take it in the order that it happened. So we begin with what looks like we're going to have kind of a standard battle in the final episode. You know, we see the kind of serried ranks of the Unsullied kind of all lined up outside the castle in King's Landing.
0: Can like I just he, say yes. with that sequence, actually, is that they've done this like fast travel trickery <laughs> so many times. I was like, are we even in King's Landing yeah, right now? Or yeah. did Jamie and Bronn teleport to the Reach? High Garden? Or like, are we in Highgarden? Like, <laughs> yeah. where yeah. are we? And then when the ship showed up, I was like, well, the ships are in King's Landing, so are they, like, besieging two places during this piece?" Like, I was... It,
1: and it, do you think that was like a, ooh, let's keep them guessing, or was it just, as you said, that we've lost kind of faith with the storytelling? Yeah, I think it's
0: actually like, uh, this is where the the problems of their cheating are starting. I mean, sometimes it gets in the way because it's so infuriating, as as, as yes. Seth uh, ably explained it's, it's last Later week.
2: on when Sam Tarly showed up And we just felt, hey, I'm here. This guy took off on this donkey cart going three miles an hour. And
1: whoa. But it's a small child.
2: But yeah, part of the problem is, and
0: I actually think in the final season, the story is going to get progressively easier and easier yeah, to yeah, follow because yeah. right. it's going to get more unidirectional. Yeah. Yes. But the problem yeah. with the story this complicated is when you're also like cheating all over the place with yeah. it. You just get disoriented. It takes a a while to figure out where you are. Yeah. 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 Well,
1: and, uh, you know, there was a moment where they met in the dragon pit. That's where the kind of the new, the other forces were sort of kept while Cersei and so on were off. And uh, Daenerys has this line about how, you know, the history of the dragon pit and the fighting dragons and how keeping them all in that small place in that arena made the dragons shrink and it made the humans shrink too. And you're like, well, also the story, you know, like (laughs) we used to complain a lot when it was all like, oh my God, how long is it going to take them to get to X and Y? I mean, I don't know, Seth, we could go to the tape and hear us complaining about that. But now you know, they're all coming together, and it it has shrunk the story and the storytelling. I think
2: I like it focusing on fewer characters. You can feel the momentum yeah. surging, all the strands coming together. I like it. Can I can I talk about the very opening scene, which I really liked, where it's um, Bron and Jamie are on the ramparts there, mm-hmm. looking out at the arrayed forces, mm-hmm. and they and they have this little discussion. And it reminded me a little of the opening of, of Hamlet, if I can just get oh a little my goodness, literary yes, with yes, you folks, if yes. that's okay, where it's, it's the two centuries and, and one century says, who's there? Mm-hmm. And that's the opening line. And, of course, the play's all about identity and who really is it's there. and, the, and mm-hmm. the other And the other century says, you know, no, you tell me, unfold yourself. You know, tell me, mm-hmm. unfold yourself. Who yeah. are you? And so we had this, I felt, very meaningful discussion between Bron and Jamie where Bron says, why fight if you don't have a cock? Right. Why? Like, right. What's, right. what's it all for? And and Jamie says, F- gold. And he says, no. Family, no. And then he said, well, maybe it really is all about cocks. And then Bron says, well, but your brother has sided with the cockless. And it's this big question about what are we fighting mm-hmm. for? Who is mm-hmm. fighting for what? What is driving people? And I thought that was a great way to set up this episode because that really was what it was about what's Cersei really in this for what are John and Daenerys really yeah. in this for and what is the Night King in this for yeah. that is that's the deep question so I, li- I really like the way they set that up
0: it, yeah this episode was in many ways about hope which I think is the the other word for what they're <laughs> fighting for right it's like what are you hopeful about you know what do you actually want what possible dream are you trying to achieve what world
2: are you imagining
0: yeah because why is it worth slaughtering all of these people or running the risk of getting slaughtered yourself you know if it's all for nothing, you know, and that is essentially John's case in the clumsiest PowerPoint presentation (laughs) in in Westeros's history, you know, is, well, you know, we're all going to be fighting for nothing. And so whatever it is that you're fighting for, like, we have to fight this first if you want to have any hope of that happening.
1: Yes, it is a very profound question. And I'm not sure that, I mean, I'm not sure that there is an answer. It is uh, what's each individual's motivation and clearly... It isn't always clear. I don't think people themselves always can unfold themselves. They don't always understand their own motivations.
2: So so what is so what is the moral of the dragon pit? Is the the idea is that like if we somehow bound bind ourselves, if we enclose or ourselves we bind and others, limit ourselves, or that, bind others. That we become less
1: I think it's that if we enslave others, then we become enslaved by our power and our You know,
0: know, Danny's whole Daenerys, excuse me, she doesn't like being called Danny. Daenerys's whole speech in that sequence. You know, my note was, again, like, all she wants is power for its own sake. and That's (laughs) the thing she wants, because immediately she's like, when you put limits, she's like an Ayn Randian figure, right? It's like (laughs) when you put limits on the special. You make them less special Mm, and the the world gets worse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does have that kind of the, or the interesting, right? Yeah. It does have that kind of Incredibles or, you know, frankly, Atlas Shruggedy thing. Like, you know, it's like, yes, they created institutional limits on regal power and that's actually the regal power being the dragons. And that's what she's so upset about. And it just seemed like I, again, I was like Tyrion.
2: Back in the wrong horse. Go north, right. Sansa. <laughs> Sansa, Sansa needs a new advisor by the end of this episode. Right. He, so go he, north, buddy. He praises her to Cersei for saying, "Well, well, she knows that she needs. She knows who he is, she is, and she needs to check herself. And so she yeah. chose an advisor that would check her bad instincts, her, Im- yeah, her worst but, but, impulses. But her impulses are still just let it go, yeah. let it rip, let those yeah. dragons fly free.
1: You know, I'm glad you mentioned Sansa because I had been sort of getting a little bit down in the dumps about this because you know they're all whatever their motivations they're all kind of shit I mean <laughs> Cersei yes in this episode we saw her wisdom and it's perverted and weird but she's smart you know she spotted the fact that Danny only had two dragons with her and all of that stuff and, and as kind of evil as her plan is. She's thinking past. But... I
0: I loved that. You know, when yeah. Rachel was uh, mm-hmm. one of the co-hosts, she pointed out, I was mm-hmm. like, is Tyrion dumb? And she said, no, Cersei's just even smarter than Tyrion. Yeah. And Cersei's actually the smartest character on the show. And boy, was she right about that. And I I appreciate that because it's a very big break from the books. And the in the books, Cersei kind of degenerates into this. She's both stupid and drunk all the time. Uh-huh. And, you know, it, 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 she's just not a very interesting character by the point where we are in the books. Uh-huh. And I love that they've made her this kind of truly brilliant yeah. and perceptive yeah. strategist and canny manipulator, I just think is great. It's such a perfect villain right. to have on the show. But
1: she is a villain. And whereas Sansa feels like still somebody who we can, if we're wimps and want to, root for someone relatively good. And Sansa, I think, is good. I don't, she seems very much out. I don't know, outpaced or outclassed by the opposition for the throne. But anyway, let's, let's just kind of pull it back a bit. So, well, well, nope, let me, so like, there's something I wanted to say yes. about the scene in the dragon pit. And
2: I, I admit I'm somewhat reluctant to even raise this because I don't like to bring worldly politics into the world of Westeros. It can be a downer. But did, did we notice how Jon Snow said, had that line about how if we make too many false promises, mm. that words mean nothing. And he has this thing about lying, and it mm-hmm. seemed somewhat pointed to me. And I also noted: has Cersei's hair gotten a little more orange? Has it? Has she become this like somewhat narcissistic, orange-haired person on the throne? I I just was curious when this was written and whether they were trying to fold in little hints of that.
1: Well, you know what I noticed, which like it has been true since the very first minute that George R. R. Martin, you know, wrote the book, but. Daenerys Targaryen, does she have a middle initial J? Because, you know, (laughs) Uh, otherwise she's there too.
2: Joramond. Mind blown gif. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, or are we just, just so our minds are just right. in maybe such I, a muddled maybe, mess? Well, right whatever then.
2: it is I think I see becomes a DJT to me. It yeah. could be, it, That could be. <laughs> the,
1: the, thing,
0: the thing that the world event that I thought about when you're talking about a war and is a war worth fighting and what are you fighting the war for is, of course, that we have the like the, an ongoing war with like a good third of the world that we're just about to escalate again, and that no one even bothers to articulate like a coherent. There's
2: no program other than other than a narcissistic claim to power. And here comes climate change and it's and we just don't care about it. And it's hard. There are elements of that in this. But we can wrap that up. I know that that can be (laughs) it can be kind of a bummer to bring that into this fantasy world where we go to escape. So (laughs) shall we talk about the presentation of the.
1: We yes, let's talk about the presentation, which Matthew Desson said was you know, a failure of showmanship.
0: Right. You know, my wife has to do a lot of PowerPoint presentations (laughs) for work and she had to do it in, in business school and stuff. I said, how would you rate that? And she said, well... It was really well structured, but you know, a little
2: clumsy in in execution. <laughs> well, when you've got Euron on like interrupting you halfway, I'm sure I wonder if your wife, someone just stands up and when your wife is giving a PowerPoint, she yeah. talks about something completely unrelated. Yeah, exactly. I should
0: ask her about that. I should ask her if that's ever happened. Uh, be like, and has that ever
2: happened? Yet? Why didn't he talk about that? They were waiting there for Danny yeah. to show for Daenerys to show up for so long. He, like they were sitting 20 feet apart, for you sitting 20 feet away from Theon the entire time, and then he waits until the presentation because Then that's when he needs interrupts. Right,
0: well the brilliant thing about that scene is I was like, <laughs> this is preposterous. It is so clumsily written. The, it was sort of inartfully shot, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it's laugh out loud. Funny. There's a weird almost Coen Brothersy humor that infects that whole scene with the hounds. There was not a lot of slapstick and, in this and, episode yeah. actually. Yeah. And yeah. then to find out later that it was all staged, I was like, oh you got me. Because that guy's a really great actor actually I think, but the reason why he was so clumsily delivering those lines is that Euron is acting yeah. there. You know what I mean? Like, so there right. was some stuff He's that acting, got fixed acting. in the second half of the episode. I was kind of like, you got me. I doffed my cap to you.
1: Right. And, mm-hmm. and especially because Cersei, which I, the thing that surprised me about that wasn't that Euron was so graceless, but more that Cersei like slapped him down. You know, shut the fuck up or get out of the presentation, bro. <laughs> like she she had no patience for his nonsense, but also just establishing that she doesn't care that much, which, oh, how silly we were. How
2: foolish. I don't know if it was intentional, but I felt like the Hounds somewhat graceless presentation actually served – it's performed pretty well because there was this moment of calm, of relaxation, where people were like, "Oh, there's nothing in the box," and you sort of let down your guard a little bit. And at that moment, the thing is like jumps yeah. out and runs yeah. at Cersei, and just as yeah. she's she's not prepared for it, she's not tensed up, she's relaxed, she's let her guard down a little bit. So I thought I felt it kind of worked,
1: right? You know, it was a decent presentation, but like that was essentially the whole point of this season, right? That they would get that so that they can freak Cersei out, and Cersei's just like, "Okay, yeah." pretty
0: good the thing that I did love about sort of how that scene echoed out because it echoed out into the the moment with Jamie which I think was actually the only real legitimate surprise in this entire episode oh, everything I was surprised else was, was pretty thing, yeah. oh okay well okay. we'll talk about we'll talk about uh, that but uh-uh. but the cersei Jamie sequence what I liked about it was this thing that we have been watching for eight years now, and we're going to watch for another, it's going to be 18 months before we're finally released from our, how we're chained to the show. But the, um that I loved that they did take the time to be like, but these characters haven't been watching this and they've mm-hmm. never seen one of these things before. And the way they tracked all those reactions, like Kyburn had that hilarious sort of like, this is fascinating i have some new necromancy techniques i clearly have to learn here and then jamie was like legitimately really freaked out about it and cersei is at first freaked out and then figures out because she's her how to use it to her advantage i really liked that they took the time to kind of walk us through that because if we showed up for a board meeting and someone threw a (laughs) ice zombie into the room we we would legitimately be like i'm gonna rethink my life choices now
1: After I've changed my pants.
0: After, yeah, exactly.
1: But you know, the, the, another thing that just struck me is that, yes, it's a terrifying thing. It runs at you. It tries to kill you. It tries to, you know, make you the undead. But she's also got her own undead creature. You know, the the mountain is some kind of weird zombie. I mean, he's somewhere between alive and dead, and you know, his his weird, ugly, grey visage that we've at least been prevented from seeing the extent of his transformation but she's got a little bit of that herself and as you say kybron's got some skills he doesn't need a big ice lance to do it either yeah
2: there's something you notice in that motley assembly they had in the dragon pit is it's just all degrees of badness for the most part? Right? we've got here's this evil thing in the box but then you look around and like the hound is a, is a good guy the hound's not good yeah. guy. I just want to praise the performance. I don't know. The, I can't remember the actor's name. But the Hound's performance, I think, yeah. is really excellent at conveying this tough guy who's seen it all and, and, and been through it all. But there's just a real soulfulness yeah. at the heart of that. And he still maintains some, you know, the way he flipped that box off and stepped back and was a little bit scared. Or the way, I just think that performance is so great from yeah.
1: him. Or as he would say when he heard you praising him, fuck off.
2: Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> okay, so John refuses to pledge allegiance to Cersei because he's already pledged to Daenerys, which is news apparently to some of the people there. And, you know, that feels foolish. I mean, yeah, I don't want to, like, make the case for lying and deception because heaven knows there's enough of that on this show. But, you know, it's so far down the street, it's almost like... I understand he's not going to do that in front of Daenerys, perhaps, although she essentially tells him he should have. But like it's an existential war that they have to win before we even get to that stage. And like, dude, just say you will and figure it out later, (laughs) you know?
0: Yeah, the thing that Cersei understands by the end of the episode, Sansa understands that John has never understood is how much of leading is performance and how performative political legitimacy is and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. Like, he really does not understand that. And neither did his, we now know, adopted father, Ned, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they're like lawful good to the core. And they do not understand the idea that you need to be performing different versions of yourself to tell the audience what they need to hear. Like, I mean, it actually Mm costs cost him his life yeah. and he still has never learned that lesson. And there's that line. I mean, it's really Benny and Weiss kind of speaking to the audience was like, you'll say I'm like my dumb father who got, you know, who yeah. got beheaded. And that's true, actually. Like he just
2: does not get. How to perform for an audience. They're they're the definition of too good for this world. Yeah. Yeah. They really are too good for this world that's been created. They don't fit in it. There was, I noted last week and this week, so much mention of Ned Stark. The specter of Ned Stark haunted these last two episodes and people keep talking about him. And I think it's something to do with what you're talking about, Isaac, where it's, it's about, we're returning to maybe we need to return to that honor that sense of honor those old that, values yes exactly we need to go back to those old values and start because we've things really went off the rails things got a little bit crazy there for a while and maybe we need to think about go back to think about why we're doing this what's important here
1: yeah i was about to get sidetracked there but let me keep us back on track and
2: there's just
0: so much to talk
2: about
1: there is um we'll talk about Tyrion. so Cersei stomps off because John won't, you know, make an alliance with her. Tyrion goes with his whatever in his throat, whatever that phrase is. He's very nervous. He goes off to speak with his sister. And it's a very emotional, you know, it's not an angry conversation, although, of course, she's angry. She kind of expresses what has always been there. She's always hated him. She's hated him from the minute he, quote, unquote, killed her mother when he was born. But, you know, she just lays out all of her resentment and hatred on him. And he's kind of a, a mushy ball of like, yeah, sorry. How do we
0: feel about Cersei as a scene with each of her brothers? Yes. And they're both like, then kill me. Exactly. Why don't you? How do, how do? I thought that moment with Jamie was actually very effective, but I was sort of like, really? What did yeah. you guys make of Tyrion's whole, is he like John? He just like yearns for death with every, you know, like he's just
2: trying to kill himself. Like, what? what, what did you think about that moment? I think he just realized he had to get that get that out of the way (laughs) but we weren't going to be able to talk you know are you going to kill me or not because Mm -hmm. if you're going to kill me we need to figure that out if we're not then we can talk and I think what it said uh, in each case about Cersei it's about family for her. If she does have some higher impulse than pure narcissistic power grabbing, it is about family. It's about the unborn child in her womb. It's about Jamie. It's about even Tyrion to some extent. It's that's what it is for her. And the fact that she can't kill them. She can't kill Tyrion despite, you know, holding him responsible for the death of her father and both and two of her children. It just speaks to how family is her driving motivation.
1: Which is so perverse. I mean, not only because of her incestuous incestuous relationship with Jamie, but, you know, it is the most, like, what is it for? Your family, you know, and everybody keeps talking these days about noble houses, and Jamie brings this up when they have their confrontation later. Like, it really doesn't matter. It's
2: bigger than noble houses, June.
1: Yeah, exactly. But, you know, as we've said earlier, she makes her case, and it's kind of persuasive of, like, the chances are we're going to die anyway. So let's just play this long game. It's pretty unlikely that anything's going to survive this earth other than white walkers and people living on islands. So, you know, hey, let's hold out. And maybe if the throne's still there, maybe me or my issue will be sitting on it. And, and there you go. Ugh, but it's kind of awful.
2: You just reminded me of my own apocalyptic plan, which is to steal a boat at the 72nd Street Boathouse and just sail into open waters. <laughs> like if it all hits the fan.
1: Yeah, we'll you know, we'll all be in open waters. You don't need plan. to go to the boat. <laughs> just, Fair enough. You know, that seems to be the uh, plan here. OK, so she doesn't kill Tyrion, which I kind of was worried for the little guy. And then she, what we later learn, kind of plays a trick where she goes back to the what kind of I think of as the assembled good guys in the like in the face-off of good, the bad, and the ugly. I guess the ugly is... The mountain. The mountain, yeah. And she claims, okay, you got me persuaded. Tyrion taught me around. And, well, she doesn't say that because they would never fall for that, but there's kind of a little bit of the, the feeling behind it. And, you know, it's okay, so she's going to fight with the North to battle the undead. And everybody just kind of accepts that because, you know, it is... In a sense, the smart thing, if you're not just feeling very selfishly. But were they foolish to believe that she would do that, do you think? Well,
2: they should have followed Littlefinger's advice. They should have asked themselves. They should have said, sometimes I play a little game when I'm determining someone's motive. And I assume the worst. And they should have asked themselves, what could be the worst thing that Cersei wants? And do her actions conform with that? Yeah. If they'd only done that.
1: Well, if Littlefinger had only done that. Because (laughs) let's just fast forward to where Winterfell. And I was really fooled. I really thought that Sansa was going to come at Arya until I saw Bran sitting next to Sansa because he would never allow that.
0: So my pre-finale call... Which was it's on Facebook uh, on a friend's thread. I could show it to you to legitimate. This was, you know, the fight last week was legitimate. But Sansa and Arya will patch things up and, Mm -hmm. and get rid of Littlefinger. So when that scene happened, I was like, I just I don't buy the dialogue in this scene. I don't buy that Sansa would I buy that she would be mad at her sister, but I don't buy that she would go so far as to have her sister killed or to be afraid of that. And, you know, Littlefinger's kind of Nixon routine because it's very Nixonian, right? His paranoia is very Nixonian. I just didn't buy any of it. So I was happy when the reveal happened at the end that at some point, either just before or just after that scene, Sansa decided to ask those questions of Littlefinger and go to Bran and, you know, Organize all this. Stuff.
1: Yeah, the ultimate problem with that whole strand, as much as I was fooled and like, what? When uh, Sansa did, you know, right. made the claim, and then Peter Baelish or Lord Baelish or whatever. The ultimate question of what would Arya want, like, she wouldn't want to be Lady of Winterfell. That would not be something that's even on her radar. So if that is the worst thing that she could be shooting for. Like, yeah, no, I'm not fooled by that. Question, though,
2: why didn't
1: Sansa just
2: have Lord Baelish hauled before her and just ex- why did she need to do this deception where, oh, I think you, I might kill Arya. Oh, no, no, no. Turn the tables on you. Did all the bannermen standing on the sides of the hall know what was going on or were they in on it or not? Like, why do it that way? Why not just I,
0: execute it? I think it's a couple things. First of all, I think that it's actually after that conversation that she for sure figures everything out and arranges that whole thing. It's in between so after the conversation
1: two with with Littlefinger.
0: Yeah, I think so because I think that she takes his advice. She mm-hmm. actually takes most of Littlefinger's generic advice and then she uses it against him, right? So she gets this final piece of advice and then, you know, and I do think that it was important to have this show trial. And I think it is a show trial. Cuz I think she's already told that.
1: The Lord of the Veil. The guy. Lord of the
0: Veil, the Knight of the Veil dude. Yeah what she plans on doing. So I think it actually is all a performance. And again, that comes back to what she's learned from Cersei and from Littlefinger is, you know, how to rule. And one of the ways you rule is in this public way that makes your rulership known. Because she could have just dispatched Arya to assassinate him, but there's no, no legal justification for doing that. She has to create this show trial. right?
2: And, it and it was, I'm... she did give him a show, but why, but again, she could have assembled the Bannermen and just hauled Lord Baelish before them in shackles and just read him his, his rights and killed him. Like, she didn't need to make it look like she was going to kill Arya just for his benefit. And that, I, I guess that I, was yeah. salt I, I think, in
0: the Okay, moon, got it, got it, got, sorts, got it. But. I get it. Yeah, no, that she did because it makes for good television. Yes.
1: I you. Yes, I'm not going to deny that. But I do think it may be as a sign of respect for Littlefinger because he is... Very conniving, oh, he, you know, and maybe in, he'd have it, snuck
2: off if she hadn't tricked him like that. I mean,
1: the thing is that, given his propensity for gathering knowledge, I mean, I do think that Aiden Gillen is actually a decent actor who's been ill served by this role. <laughs> Isaac keeps giving me looks about that, but he has no clue. Well, that's actually the biggest flaw for me of yeah. like this guy who's the greatest gatherer of information since Lord Varys has no sense of what's happening.
2: It was delightful to finally see him on the back foot, to finally, he doesn't know what's going on. He's not the one, he's not the smartest guy in the room. And- how delightful. We've seen so many scenes in these like dimly lit halls where someone we love is unexpectedly has their throat slashed. And finally, at last, we see the guy we want to have his throat <laughs> yeah. slashed in this dimly lit hall get his throat slashed.
1: Although, you know, I have to agree with something you've been saying a couple of times this season of, no, I've lost the expectation of good people dying. Like when Cersei didn't kill Tyrion, when she didn't kill Jaime, and when Thormond especially didn't die last week, it's like, really, once we've grown to like them, you're really not going to take them away until, like, basically, everybody's going to die in a big conflagration in the last five minutes of, of the penultimate episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, yeah,
0: I really do think that not killing Tormund last week was a really huge error on their part. I mean, or they're, like, so lulling us into a false sense. of But you always expect in the final season the characters you like are going to bite it. Right? I, just, I mean,
1: Yeah, I th- I think they might be getting us ready for a spinoff where it's like essentially the Bachelorette with Brienne as the Bachelorette and it's going to be Tormund and the Hound and zombies. Jamie and all these people like I'd fighting for a hand. I know, shit. right?
0: I was interested that Brienne was on the side of lying because Brienne is the other most lawful good character. I thought it was really fascinating that even she was like, <laughs> yeah. are you stupid? Just yeah. lie to him. Yeah. Like that was a really... Yeah. I don't know. I thought that was really that that was a really fascinating twist with that character as well.
1: Yeah. It, in some ways it wasn't believable just because yeah suddenly now but also that how dumb is John that it, even Brienne says she should have lied and he still doesn't get it. Speaking of people who are a bit pathetic although we're supposed to believe that they're going to turn around and surely they will Theon has that kind of beat down gang initiation scene. Who thought
0: that it was a good idea to make the fact that he literally and figuratively has no balls his superpower yes. cuz like it's supposed to be this sort of emotional moment and it was weirdly yeah. funny and tonally no. confused i had also just seen that the other actor on stage in london a oh, couple my. months ago playing galileo and it was just wow. like so like it was just that whole sequence i was like who even cares about this character who cares about his sister who cares about does, do either of you care about I what care happens about with yara and yara but-
1: I but you mean,
2: are you are you referring to Reek? Is that yeah, yeah yeah <laughs> no. no? But uh, but also
0: like if you had found out that Yara had died off screen, right. would you be really upset that we weren't going to get a lot of Yara? Like you no. just sort of be like, no. okay, they're dead. Let's just move on. It just seemed yeah. totally odd to
2: me. There was this weird impulse I felt on that part of the writers to undercut some of the most serious moments with this slapstick humor. Like when we see Daenerys show up on her dragon, and it's this epic entrance, you know, into the dragon pit and she steps down off of his wing and she walks up and then Cersei just says, oh, we've been waiting for a while. And it's kind of this undercuts it a little bit. Or that scene where, you know, this is Theon is finally after seasons and seasons and seasons of Theon being this completely subjected person, he's going to rise up and this is his big character transformation. And then they completely undercut it with this knee to the balls joke. I also, I didn't love that the way that Theon had to prove That he was, in fact, his own man was through physical violence. Like, why not just take a stand and stand for what's right? It had to be him, like, actually physically beating somebody up. Because that's how the ironborn
0: work. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I think that's because that's who his people his people are. Someone should have dracarist the ironborn a long time ago, right?
1: They really should have, although then it would turn to steel or something. Right. That's how it works, I guess. Yeah, it was tiresome. But
0: it did introduce this specter of Ned that you're right has been hanging over this whole season a lot, right? Because there, John and Theon have that moment. Where John from? I mean, who cares? John forgives yeah. him. Blah 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 blah. But but they did have that thing about like even if he wasn't your real father, yeah. he was your father. Which of course is this lovely bit of foreshadowing that Ned is John's real father, even yeah, if he's
2: yeah. not his real right. father. And mm-hmm. we're back to it's the Starks and the Lannisters and the Targaryens, just like it was the very opening of the, you know this entire saga. That we were boiling back down to that.
1: Indeed. So then we have the scene where Jamie and Cersei talk. She shares her true intentions, which seems to, as you said earlier, Isaac really shocks Jamie. Like he's appalled by her deception, he's appalled by her lack of priorities, that she doesn't agree with him that the White Walkers are the thing that they have to. She's more worried about getting on a throne than fighting the armies of the undead.
0: He's okay with her setting off these chain reactions that result in the death of their children. That's what I thought was really interesting, because at first I was like, really, he's upset about this? And I was like, oh, but he's seen that zombie. And so now he's just sort of like, no, how could you think that anything else matters beyond killing them? So I was I was convinced by it. I also think that actually the actor who plays Jamie who does a very good job of, of selling that yeah. that moment, of selling that horror and selling that idea. Although it is also weird that a character whose entire identity is based on oath-breaking would be yes. like, but I'll never
2: break an oath. Yes. Where is he headed off to in the snow and on his horse at the end? Is he headed north to join?
1: I th- guess so. I mean, he's not a very good fighter anymore. And, he's, you know, he's got that gold hand that snow falls on his glove. I mean, yeah. Jamie, you lost your superpower a while ago. so
0: That was a beautiful sequence when the winter has moved far enough south that as he goes north of King Landing, the snow yeah. falls. Then you see the snow falling on various locations. Yeah. It's kind of like a mm. final episode of a wire season, you know, <laughs> except there wasn't like a Steve Earle song playing. Right, there should have exactly. been. That would have made it even better. But that was a nice pulls sequence.
2: out and it's a snow globe. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, we're right back it. there. Yeah,
1: there we go. <laughs> they missed the Dickensian aspect. Okay, so Jamie goes off into the snow. And actually, you know, I thought we had a vocalized version of the main Game of Thrones theme, which was sad. Because usually on the final episode, we get a really nice musical version and like, like, no, that was not pulling it for me. Then we had what was a really annoying scene with Bran and Sam Tarwell, which, as uh, you indicated, Seth, it was already annoying enough that Sam and his goat car. <laughs> knock, knock. Hey, guys, I'm here. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and his tiny child and all of that show up.
0: It did have the best line in the episode, though. You remember me. I remember everything. That was like a very, that was like a really great comic book moment, right?
1: Yes. But it was really annoying because, we again, Bran remembers everything. He sees everything except... <laughs> If he hasn't seen it, and you know, and then he needs Sam to like, hey, but no, I saw this. Which of course he slightly obfuscates. He leaves Gilly out of the picture because. Thanks, Sam. You're not such way a way to amplify. Yeah, Sam really, well. really. He's not a he's not a good ally. No, no. <laughs> he's, he's a bad male feminist. But
2: they're introducing new rules to the brand superpower. Like I don't understand. So he doesn't know everything. But if you just alert him to something, he'd be like, "Oh, I'll only go check that out." So
1: maybe he shouldn't be all on his own under a tree. Maybe he should be working with Sam or someone who knows bloody something, has read a book in their lifetime,
2: some feet on the ground out there doing some real reporting exactly. out in the world, exactly. bringing exactly. it back to you.
1: He needs to join Slate Plus and have. <laughs> brand plus and get some extra information yeah no that so is sam annoying.
0: then gabe roth in this analogy because he's the one like bringing the information and... beards. Yeah. Oh,
1: interesting i mean you said there's everyone else on this show <laughs>
2: there's the huge reveal obviously yeah the reveal here, that we all it?
1: knew i guess the reveal is that john's name is Aegon, because we'd see we all knew everything anybody had paid attention
0: and of course that sequence is intercut with john and daenerys Doing it on the boat. Love making. Love on making on ship, the boat. Which the best I thought, place to love <laughs> Right. Um, well, first of all, I would love a maritime minute about yeah. that, about, you know, the rocking of the boat. I mean, like, that. I feel like I would be sick in the middle if of that. If this
2: boat's a yawling, don't, don't bother.
1: <laughs> the balling. Yeah.
0: But uh, speaking of music, I thought it was weird how romantic the music was in that mm. sequence. Because, you know, like, we rely on music to guide our tonal appreciation of what's going on. And that was like a love theme that was underplaying there incestuous romance in that moment you know like i just thought it was like a very strangely put together scene it's like you know their nephew and aunt and then there's like soaring you know (laughs) like like the love theme from romeo and juliet is playing or something as they as they make out on the bed and then it cuts to Tyrion being very unhappy about this which I thought was a little weird because yeah. this is an alliance that they need, and right. he doesn't particularly. It's not like he wants her. So is it right? right.
2: it's not sexual envy, right? It, does he just somehow think this is a bad? Like we want this alliance, but we maybe he thinks that bringing sex into it is going to muddy the waters.
1: Which is just crazy because apart from anything else, he needs to know that there's this next generation right. problem.
2: The succession was such a, so important to him that he should. This is what he should want. It right. was. I also found it though a little amusing the way that the nude lovemaking was intercut with brands unbelievably monotonic description right. of what's happening where he's the heir to the iron throne he <gasps> needs to know we need to tell him like
1: <laughs> you're absolutely right but i, I just had a, a recollection that i well i think it was the first scene of like rumpy pumpy on british television you know with up and down business was mm. also on a boat it was on bride's revisited i believe so you know naked bum Maybe Jeremy that, irons naked bum it was jeremy irons and diana quick it was really quite effective, but um, I don't think that we, I don't think we saw a bum. It was a nice bum, actually. Yeah, hairless. It's interesting to see the hairlessness of of these people. Um, anyway, <laughs> then of course, from boning relatives to we're all boned, as which I think several people said this episode because we get to the wall. I mean, I think maybe Tormund was left to live so that he could say run. Um, you know, so it wasn't just complete strangers I, up on the top I, of that I, wall.
0: A friend of mine made this point. He texts me. He's like, I really hope that the leader of the Brotherhood Without Banners. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, Barak, Barak Dondarrion thank you he was like I really hope Barak just died because it'd be kind of amazing <laughs> if the hound was right that the lord of light was such a jerk that he got yeah. this guy raised from the dead six times just to die arbitrarily yeah. in this fight but I don't know man yeah and the wall came
2: tumbling the down. wall
0: it came sure tumbling down with, with
2: the dragon that breathes right energy unclear someone you know one of our twitter followers called it icy hot Icy hot. That's good. Which yeah. <laughs> I thought it was pretty great because it was like it was a blue, yeah, blue flame I think a blue he, ice laser. Like,
0: I think he breathes magic spelled with a J and a C K. I like that. Like yeah. M A J I C K. I think that's what he breathes. It was yeah. like
2: a propane flame. It was. Maybe? It was, it was, it was bit, like paraffin. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Like one of those sterno cans you yeah. use to heat
2: a vegetable.
0: Yeah. Tray. We really like, needed that old He-Man the animated series like lightning sound effect. You know, the, like <laughs> as he did it, that would have been. That there, made it even there was better.
2: a little bit of a clash of the. Titans look to that dragon bringing the wall. They down. spent their dragon money on the first dragon. Yeah. Sequence. <laughs> Who I knew this dragon say- could hover like a hummingbird <laughs> next to the wall? I like the way that it just could stay in place.
1: You know, I've been uh, all the whole time with the undead, who I don't like them at all. But I always like, you know, what do they still keep rotting? Like, why does some have a skull? Why do some have like bits oh, of June, skin? Whatever and state and
2: you're in when you are, yeah. But then why has
1: Viserion like got those holes in his wings? He's like looks like he's been moth eaten on the on the <laughs> on the trek over because we know he like. Got with the ice hour, didn't go through bits of his wings, and then he was in the water. That didn't make holes in his wings. What, did fish under the water make holes in his wings? And now he's got these moth holes in his wings?
2: Very quickly, ice fish ate through his wings. June, it's it's because it looked
1: cool. Okay, okay. Yes, I think that is, in fact, the answer. But, yeah, so that's the walls down there and the... The army of the dead is on the march.
2: And there's some kind of curse about how they're not, but if, is it, does it require the actual physical presence of the wall? I is it some so, sort yeah. of energy state that happens where the wall was
0: built? I, I believe it could be wrong. So if someone on Twitter wants to correct me on this, but if well, I can just like do it like this, whoop, I believe <laughs> it's that the wall itself is warded. So ward, uh-huh. there's magic wards that guard the wall itself. The so the wall it's not the line down. of the ground. It's the wall itself. So once the wall comes down, they can go through it.
2: <sighs> it's the match. It's, the, it's the true maginol line.
1: It's, yes, I don't and it, it worked
2: about as well. as exactly. yeah, the line They get it's unbreakable, and then boom, just comes down. And here they come, marching <sighs> south. How long will not... it take them? <laughs> or do they work by the same transportation principles as ever? Yeah, as the as season Samuel premiered, in eighteen months they'll be at Dorne. <laughs> Three days later, they're in King's Landing. Like what, How Thank fast God, the army? No, and those guys march slow. Yeah. I mean, those guys are like limping, dragging, like you know, just uncovered tibias, like along the ice. And
1: as so, you pointed out last week, they're the slowest moving mofos when it comes to like hey I've got this weapon that could take down all of the dragons but ah, I can't be bothered to move quickly enough to use it
0: yeah it's weird because you know the thing that slows an army down is needing to rest bring yes. supplies with you yes. an army moves on its, on its stomach a, right yeah. yeah an army moves on its but you know it's not like they have quartermasters for this army of the dead they're just yeah. like they, yeah. they could just march
2: infinity time though. some so. of this army literally moves on its stomach yeah. like, <laughs> calling, <laughs> like dragging itself That's along by its skeleton because they've
1: got no feet yeah
2: so what do we predict? Oh boy, for next season, what is going to happen?
1: I hope Dragons' Bone make more dragons, oh, yes. and then
2: Dragon Dragon Rumpy Pumpy, yeah, Rumpy Pumpy,
1: Rumpy Pumpy, <laughs> <Drumpy> pumpy. <laughs> and then they can just like set fire on them because I'm just I'm sick of the undead. I don't care about the undead. I just want to get to the Game of Thrones, not the Game of Undead.
2: Right. That so this was something I really liked about this episode that that you raised here, June, which was there was a lot of throne gaming yeah. going yep. on with yeah. Cersei, you know, coming out and deceiving someone, and it was all about these um, strategic alliances and people lying to each other, and Sansa murdering Littlefinger on the on the floor of the the Banner Hall. I love that's why I come for exactly. the show.
0: Yeah, I think on a beat by beat level, like a line by line. Writing level, it was a clumsy episode in a lot of ways. But I do think, in, in terms of its overall <laughs> gestalt, there was a bit of a return to form here, yeah, right? Yeah. We have more manipulation, little dragons, little undead, more manipulation,
2: double crosses, loyalty, yes. values, yeah.
0: norms, institutions. Yeah. You know, I like, yes. yeah,
2: that, yeah. Even though we had a little Iron Bank, and you know how that tickles. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. You know, the mm-hmm. Iron Bank and the Golden Company.
1: Yeah. Let's... We had some some sea scenes. We did have some sea scenes.
2: What if the dragons have sex on a boat? <laughs> You
1: know they counts to be on the boat. Seth, not since you, they were too tiny.
2: Will you
0: die of happiness if that happens? If there's like a dragon <laughs> sex scene on the boat, you'd be like, finally, what I do, can die now.
2: What is I could die of peace. You never die. <laughs> but here, so I'll, let me tell you my, yeah, dream, how I would, would wrap this up if I wanted like a sort of a bittersweet, interesting, semi and ending to this whole thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's even the right term. I kind of made Anyway, a, I would have Daenerys become pregnant, which I think she definitely yeah. will because mm-hmm. why not? Yeah. Why not have that? And then Cersei also, you know, has these Kids are going to basically have the same cohort, the same age, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then at the end we will see these two children again. Fighting over who is the true heir, who has the lineage, who deserves the throne. You're the usurper. I have a right to the throne, and and it's welcome, my friends, to the game that never ends. Yeah,
0: yeah I do think that to be true to itself, it either has to end with all humanity being wiped out, uh, at least on Westeros, or this idea that nothing has been fixed because you know in this universe nothing is fixable, right? It it just creates this new set of problems. I would also settle for a dragon driving a car <laughs> and then we see flash forwards of how each major character will die oh, like oh. as they as they as they drive a car you know like a little six feet under style yeah. you know the dragon's yeah. driving a car up to <laughs> oregon is that where I she's going it. at the end and then we see like you know <laughs> Jon snow having a heart attack
2: and dying or yeah, like three centuries later yeah, like four yeah. generations yeah exactly of Targaryen starks later what if what if suddenly we hear a plane fly by overhead and everyone looks up and is confused and it turns out it's like the village and, <laughs> and like generations ago they had walled this off and told them like don't fly over this airspace but in fact it's modern times wow. and they've just been trying to maintain the, this ancient way of life <laughs> on <Right>.
0: Westeros. <laughs> June, which other series' <laughs> finale would you like to <laughs> see happen mm, in Westeros? I,
1: I, I really do think it might be a St. Elsewhere situation. Oh, I mean we that Yeah, that's come back a couple of weeks. I'm into that. Yeah, yeah, I think it must be. <laughs> yeah. And that way it could all be part of the same shared television universe which would be so fantastic. Or Daenerys wakes up in bed next to Bob Newhart. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly that would be awesome, he's still with us Okay, before we finish and before we get really off the rails with our predictions You're the
0: worst shit in the seven kingdoms There's plenty worse than me
1: Worst person in Westeros, Isaac, who's your Okay, choice.
0: because of the venue in which this podcast appears, because mm. I think there's some obvious choices, Cersei, the Night King, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, mm-hmm. so I'm going to go way out of the box. Mm. The worst person in Westeros is Ned Stark. <gasps> Hear me out.
1: Wow. Because
0: at the end of this revolution, he found out that it was based on nothing, right? And he, the most honorable man in Westeros, covered it up Arguably, for his own gain, so he could continue to rule in the north. And if he had just been willing to cover up Cersei's incest hanky panky, none of this other war would have happened.
1: You mean, so because he he was willing the to the choice of like the cause of the of Robert's rebellion
0: at, at the end? Which I actually think that's a justifiable choice. But he mm-hmm. could do it again if he had mm-hmm. just said to Cersei, "You don't have anything to fear from me." You know, go about your business. Robert would still be alive. This war wouldn't, wouldn't be happening. Sansa would
1: have married that hideous boy, but maybe he... Sure,
0: but maybe, yeah. maybe someone would have offed him. I don't know. Yeah. But I'm just saying, yeah. part of it was like, you know, Ned was willing to cover it up here. You know, he could have just covered it up here, and then we would have been all right. That's my out-of-the-box, mm, only half-sincere argument. Interesting.
2: I'm going to see your <laughs> out-of-the-box, half-sincere <laughs> argument you're and gonna raise really- it yes. with an out-of-the-box, quasi-sincere <laughs> argument... It's sort of a lifetime worst person in Westeros achievement award the way that yours was in a way. And mine goes to another Stark, and that's Bran Stark. Bran Stark is the worst person in Westeros because if you think about it, if he had not climbed up to look into that window (laughs) and seen... Jamie and Cersei going at it incestuously and then been thrown out and injured. Then none of this would have happened. We never would have had to deal with any of this. And then after that what happened to him uh, after he was thrown out the window and injured? He just became kind of a dick, kind of lame. And now he could Literally like he lame. could he, yes. Yes. And now it seems like he could solve it all because he has this power of seeing and he doesn't really use it correctly and he doesn't communicate with people and he's yeah. kind of a jerk. And I hate the way he talks and mm-hmm. looks. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going <laughs> to give it to Bran. Wow. And there's a fan theory that he's the Night King. <gasps> would you would, you should look better. it up
0: because it actually is somewhat convincing. The that theory he's, that he is the Night King. He's is like similar.
2: warging into the Night King.
0: It it has to do with time being a closed loop, like a with the Hodor circle? thing, and uh. it, it's a long story. But if you look it up, it, it's interesting.
2: Thing the Night King know, is affectless,
0: and they have a similar face they structure, do. actually. So he's it,
2: like the Night King's like secret man on the inside in Winterfell. No,
0: it's it, it's is. way more complicated than that. But it's like in the future, he will warg into the person in the past who has turned into the Night King. Basically. But the thing that unifies both of our choices, which is interesting, given, you know, what happens with Jon Snow refusing to swear fealty to Cersei or whatever, is that what unifies both of our choices that we're like, maybe finding out and revealing the truth is bad. That's right. (laughs) Keep it to yourself. Which I'm not sure I really believe. But in the world of this show, certainly sometimes if you find out the truth, you should just tamp that shit down. Let
2: incestuously boning dogs lie. Exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, how can I top either of those choices, you know? Cersei, Euron. I mean, Euron. I just find him. I mean, he's great and all. He's great. Oh my god! And I do think he might be the father of Cersei's baby. I think you know we've we've oh. shown that she's. That so, she's a manipulator. She's been lying to Jamie and keeping things from him in ways that I think that was the thing that most upset him. And the idea that she was plotting with Euron and not telling him to me, it wasn't comparable with the way that he had been talking with Tyrion. It truly was plotting. If that baby comes out with a Fu Manchu, <laughs> <then we'll know. laughs> do you, do do you, you feel like, like Euron's like
2: a bay leaf? Like a little, you just need like a little of
0: him yeah. in your soup and yeah. then it goes, it goes, put it, it, it in goes, the
1: pot, but don't eat that mofo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't suck on that magic cock. That was <laughs> another another person's adage, whatever. Um, Maybe it's all cocks in the end. It is. There were a lot of cock jokes, that when, but there was so much balls that was not commented upon or not present. Maybe it's Theon's iron bit. Like, does he wear iron knickers? You know, like where his balls used to be? Like, I think it's I totally just like a golden, a...
2: like like Jamie's golden hands. <laughs> right, right, He perhaps gets golden testes. Yeah, that'd be replace. awesome.
1: Yeah. That'd be awesome. All right. Well, it is time to say goodbye for another season. If we're still alive, and let's it's... come back. I mean, is it eighteen months, is or maybe they eighteen said? years. I'm not sure. It's going to be a while.
2: It's going to feel like eighteen. It's going
1: to. I know it really will. Because, like, come on, give it to us. June give it to and I just looked out at
2: my microphone, and a piece, of, a little bit of snow <laughs> fell on
1: it. <laughs> yeah, winter is here, man. So we will join you again whenever Game of Thrones comes back for those final six episodes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of Slate Plus. Thank you, Seth, and thank you, Isaac. It was thank you, awesome. You, June. So Thanks, much June. fun. Thanks also to Chow2 for producing this podcast.
0: Do you think we've had enough reunions now that they're finally done with the people walking down a path like wisecracking? So good another? to see
2: you again. Wish the circumstances were better.
0: Oh, the only one that I actually liked was The Hound and Brienne. Yeah, like Their parental conversation exactly, about, about her. Like, you know, she's grounded right now, so do not let her watch <laughs> television. Exactly.